Broadway Bullet, Volume 801B, for July 11th, 2017. Anne Frank in the Gaza Strip. Be sure to subscribe to Broadway Bullet at broadwaybullet.com and for more information on the people and shows in this episode. Frank and the Gaza Strip is a fascinating play by Monica Bauer. And while we just missed its presentation, it closed July 9th at Planet Connections, there was a lot of interesting stuff here. Maybe some people might be interested in the show, but Isa Fatima, the actress, and Sean Pecknick, the director, have a great discussion about lots of issues dealing with ethnicity and where women are at in the theater world. So here it is, the full interview in its own special episode. All right, and before we get started, um, our travel sponsor is basically my university, the University of Providence of Great Falls. Brand new name for the university. Website will be going up shortly. I'll give you the address then. We were the University of Great Falls, and my new major is starting this fall. Uh, we still have room if anybody's interested or looking ahead to future years. It is the theater and business arts. We teach you the art and the business. And we don't try to make you into the artist we want you to be. We try to help you find the theater artist that you want to be. Uh, big distinction. But you get to do a whole lot of stuff. And uh, we really hope to see some of you here in Great Falls, Montana. All right. With that said, let's get into the next interview. Special thanks to our location sponsor. Thanks to the Dramatist Guild Fund for welcoming us to their space for today's podcast. Providing the Music Hall at DGF for writers to use for free is one of the many ways the Dramatist Guild Fund supports writers. I encourage you to find out more about DGF by visiting their website at www.dgffund.org or connecting with them on Twitter at DGFund. Breaking the Business All right, I am sitting here with Isa Fatima and Sean Pecknick who are both involved with Anne Frank in the Gaza Strip. Correct. That's in, right. On all those prepositions. <laughs> and uh, Isa, you're one of the actresses in the show. That's right. And Sean, you're directing this one. That's correct. All right, so this is Planet Connections, right? Yes, it is. It's being produced as part of the Planet Connections Theater Festivity I, this year. Now, I, I, I could say this because I know they're about, but uh, it would be probably more interesting for you. What, what's the idea behind Planet Connections? Yeah, so they're really big on um, having uh, playwrights uh, and creative teams kind of engage with a cause that they really believe in and doing a show um, around that. So kind of marrying the two um, that way. Yeah, Planet Connections is 
probably my favorite of all the downtown theater festivals. Glory Kadigan, who runs the program, is brilliant and visionary and years ago decided to start a festival that was built around the idea of theater being able to be green. Yeah, I was going to say sustainability. Yeah, sustainability. and So you're not throwing out 10 platforms every... Exactly. (laughs) The whole festival is geared around all the shows sort of sharing resources and the theater spaces being as green as possible. And then in addition to that, all the shows are... um, Proceeds from all the shows go to uh, specific charities that that the productions choose. And uh, the festival runs when? The whole, the whole festival? It's actually July 17th uh, through, no, sorry, June, June 17th, 17th yeah. through the middle of July. Yes. Right. But um, our show, your show, yeah, specifically <laughs> runs from uh, June 24th through July 9th. And uh, tell us a little bit, what is Anne Frank and the Gaza Strip? Sure. Uh, we actually have, titles <laughs> we've just updated the title to be Anne Frank and the Gaza Strip, a political comedy, <laughs> uh, which, you know, it's it's a story that is kind of dealing with the crazy political world that we live in right now um, and trying to make light of it and also talk about how art can can sort of increase the conversation. Um, the story centers around a woman named Dorothy Jackson, who is a high school drama teacher and director of a school production of, of Anne Frank in a prep school, a New England prep mm-hmm. school, a Connecticut wealthy mm-hmm. prep school. And um, she's at the top of the play. She's called down to the headmaster's office because they've discovered that she's cast uh, a Muslim American student in the title role. To play Anne Frank. Yes. <laughs> that, that, is, that is a problem. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and for the, the listeners yeah. who can't see, mm. yes, Isa looks very much like her full name, Isa Fatima, <laughs> would suggest. Very lovely. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Isa's playing the, uh, the, the said actress. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and uh, at, at the end of the very first scene where she's asked to, to uh, replace the actress um, with someone who is of the Jewish faith, um, she gets hit in the head with a theater trophy, and she goes on a very sort of Wizard of Oz-style dream journey mm-hmm. through plays within plays within dreams <laughs> within plays, um, where she uh, imagines herself to be a American CIA psychologist that is uh, trying to save what may be the reincarnation of Anne Frank, right. uh, who's living in Palestine, in, in Palestine currently, right, a right. Palestinian girl. Yes, and and yes, that's true. And you quickly find out she's actually Christian Palestinian. Correct. So there's a lot of layers to yeah. all of this, <laughs> which, yeah. Yeah, and it's really, no one is spared in a way, I yeah, think. Yeah, which, uh, <laughs> which is the mastery of, uh, you know, Monica Bauer and her writing. She uh, does such an amazing job of kind of drawing out these issues with a lot of humor. Talking about the Israeli-Palestinian yeah. conflict, talking about the state of refugees and uh, and immigrants in our country these right. days, um, even talking about what topics are need to be censored and rewritten and what topics we're now okay with, mm-hmm. um, the hot-button <laughs> topics of, of today. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what attracted you both as artists to this play? 
Um, yeah, for me, it's uh, so I, I've known Monica Bauer for a long time. And I mean, by attracted, also not just what artistically about literally. How did you guys get sucked into the vortex? Sure. Yeah, sure. Monica and I have known each other for a while, <coughs> and uh, we met in actually um, in Scotland, in Edinburgh, in yeah. 2012 when we were both there with our own. Monica's uh, Jewish, right? Monica has an interesting story. So she grew up. She is a. uh, She did not grow up Jewish. She was. She's adopted. Um, She recently had a DNA test done that revealed that she has a very high percentage Jewish. Yeah, but background. But she was not raised. She was not raised. Also, she is a uh, minister. So (laughs) you know, and a political science teacher, and all these things. In Edinburgh, of all places. So we go. Yes, and so we meet in Edinburgh, and then we just stayed in touch. And I'm just a huge fan of her work. And um, yeah, we I've done a couple of readings of her work before. I've seen some of her plays, and uh, yeah, we just uh, you know we've been doing. Working on this uh, play for a little over a year now. She's had several drafts of it, so I've kind and of been involved with it for a little while. Correct me if I'm wrong, but she spent some time in Egypt, I think. She spent a year in Egypt where she was teaching at American University. She was teaching English. Um, yeah, so she is able to have this amazing insight into sort of the um, you know cultural aspects of the Middle East, Middle East in, in yeah. a lot of ways that I feel like often playwrights don't. And that's really special with Monica because she kind of really gets to the heart of, you know, she understands like what it means to be Middle Eastern and Middle Eastern American and all the different nuances and, uh, you know, things that kind of go on within that identity. Yeah. And then you're, how did you get into this? So I have done, I've been working with Planet Connections uh, for, say like eight or nine years I've done all I've designed shows I've directed shows I directed the award ceremony for several years um and Monica and I actually our paths had not crossed even though I knew her name very well because she's had a lot of her work produced in the festival and this year uh Glory actually contacted me and said that Monica was looking for a director for this Mm -hmm. piece and she thought that I would be a good fit for it and so she sent me the materials and I I found it intriguing and difficult in all the best ways that theater can be and challenging. <laughs> and, and then I met Isa as well. And I just felt like, oh, this is going to be a great group of artists to collaborate with. All right. So uh, what have been the biggest hurdles you've had or that, or you, that you are expecting? Have you started rehearsals yet at this point as we're interviewing? No, we, ha- uh, we have gone through a casting process, but yeah. we have not started rehearsals. Yeah, because you only rehearsed, what, three or four weeks? Is that what it's allowed? We'll probably, the- yeah, we'll probably rehearse like three and a half weeks. Monica lives in Tucson, Arizona, so we're trying to condense her rehearsal schedule a little bit yeah. to make it uh, so mm-hmm. that she can be here with us for it. So as a, as a director, as an actress, what are you expecting? Because festival situations are very different. You're nomads, load in, load out. What are you guys expecting to be your biggest hurdles to mm. get puzzles to solve to make this happen? Um, well, I, you know, I mean, I think, yes, sure, festivals are challenging. Yeah. I think it's summertime, getting in an audience, just, you know, I'm just thinking, I produce a lot, too, so I'm just thinking from a producer's <laughs> perspective, that kind of stuff. But other than that, I think we have a really great group of artists, and I'm super excited to kind of delve into this material more with everybody. Yeah, I think, you know, um, we, the casting process was really interesting, and for me, the casting process is always it's a point of time where I start kind of exploring what the world of the play is going to be. I feel like 75%, if not more, of a director's work is done in the casting room. 
um, because the story that is going to unfold sort of plays out from who you invite into the room, mm-hmm. I think. And one of the big challenges is that it is a fairly diverse cast that we wanted to find on this show. And I think you've done that. I think we have. <laughs> I mean, really, it's pretty I amazing. Think, yeah, it's pretty exciting. We have a rainbow of actors. <laughs> we do, this, which yeah. more and more these days, I, I, um, I am a white male, a white cisgender male. Um, and but I. That's okay. I know. Well, you know I, do, <laughs> I feel that I see. I see that. White maleness is reflected a lot in oh, the theater world, way too much. and it's it's scary to me that in 2017 we're still we've made we've made strides and yet we haven't at the same time. There's still so many writers and directors and actors that are that um, female of color that are not having their voices. And, and we're actually going to be, and, but what we'll do is we'll we'll talk after we kind of finish this little segment because I think we can, are going to be going off on a long tangent about this issue that we could put in a later uh, podcast sure. episode. But uh, you got it. The, yeah. And this is going to be an interesting topic, and it's an important so. one. It's a really important one. And so we that was the first challenge I think that we set out for was to find um, uh, a cast that reflected the world that we live in today. Mm, right. Um, and, and I think we have done that. We have a really exciting group of artists uh, that we're going to be working with on the show. It was also really interesting to hear um, Monica's words. Monica is such a good writer. And it just, when, when it's put into the hands of the right actor, it just clicks. And so it was very clear as we were auditioning actors, there were so many wonderful actors that came in. And then someone would walk in and start, and start speaking the material. And all of us would be like, that is someone that has to be in the room with us. So that was nice. All right, so remind us again where they, where and when they can catch Anne Frank in the Gaza Strip. We were going to be part of the Planet Connections Theater Festivity in June, I believe June 24th. Through July 9th? Yeah, through July 9th is our is our Five run. shows, yeah, yes. between that. All right. Check it out. I'm going to just hold. All right, I am back with Isa Fatima and Sean Technic. We talked to them earlier um, on our festival episode about Anne Frank and the Gaza Strip. And uh, the show inspired way too many issues that we could go out of tangent on. So now we're going to do that. <laughs> um, and uh, maybe, and how, are you guys, how are you guys doing? First time? Good. Yeah. Glad <laughs> yeah. to be here again. Yeah. Talking about more exciting things. <laughs> and there's kind of three issues. Let me just lay out the issues because I know we might get sidetracked and move off, but I, I'd like to circle around and touch on all three of these issues, which is one, you know, and especially um, Isa as a, as a Muslim actress and stuff, are we getting any better with people looking outside, you know, and, and alternative casting. And what is alternative casting in mm-hmm. the world of theater, so to speak? Um, and two, how do we, on the flip hand, I will say, if I'm, I teach and I work in Great Falls, Montana. And because we have a military base, our town is much more diverse than other cities in Montana. And thus, I would say much more diverse than a lot of middle America swaths. However, even with that, we have so few actors of color that, and I do, I love doing alternative casting, but at the same time, it's hard for me to pick a show that relies on race. If, if given the political climate that's hitting that I would have to cast a Muslim, I could probably guarantee I could cast a minority or several minorities somewhere in the show. But to know that we're going to have a Muslim girl show mm-hmm. up mm-hmm. would be almost impossible to predict mm-hmm. and, and doubtful. So how do we 
encourage alternative casting, but also how do we look at these plays in a way that, because right now I would say just as a director and this idea that I cannot cast, you know, it's like I have the freedom to alternative cast with plays that are white. Sure. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. I don't have the freedom to alternative yeah. cast with, with other shows. And to me, I'm missing out on the ability to produce some wonderful mm. new shows that explore a lot of areas of the human condition. So that's kind of the bucket I'd like to discuss with you guys and get your, your opinions. <laughs> it's a loaded conversation yeah. to have. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. And Isa is very articulate. And, and, and I want to apologize here right now, to, I mean, on all three levels. If, we, if any one of us happens to say something that's not PC in the mm. middle of this loaded conversation. I think we do our best. <laughs> we do our best to not be PC, actually. Yeah, yeah, um, really. yeah so it's really interesting you bring this up, you know, and I think it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a very complicated thing. So recently, there have been two uh, instances of this that have come up. Um, one is, in a way, very personal to me. Um, a, a, somebody I know as an actor, and I know her work and admire it, and she's lovely and amazing, uh, was recently cast in a production of a play uh, by Ayad Akhtar, who is a Pulitzer Prize-winning author. He wrote this play about two sisters who happen to be Pakistani, Muslim, American girls. The play was produced in Boston, and the actress is white, I believe, with Italian heritage from centuries ago. And she's lovely, but I just, you're not Pakistani yeah. or Muslim. Mm. I'm like, what's happening? How could you cast a white mm. person in that role? And, you know, so that's something very personal. And I think it's also not fair because I understand as an actor, you just want to get a part and you just want to act and you want to be able to, you know, live that person's truth and not to say that she's not able to understand. Uh, this character's viewpoint of where this character comes from. Of course she can. Yeah. I'm sure there are relatable things for her. It's just like, it, there's such limited roles yeah. for actors who are Pakistani, Muslim, American, that I'm like, when you just take that and then give it to somebody who's not, it just hurts my heart a little bit. <laughs> so, I mean, you know. Is any of this based on, like, the track record of the company? Because I, I guarantee that you, if you, if you came to Montana, and you're as talented right. as I'm guessing you are by your, you know, wonderful aura... <laughs> And smile, I'd be casting you all over the place, and you, you know, well, and so I have no, but like, my issue is theater is no longer realism ever, even when right. it's realism theater, film, TV, these have cornered the realism markets. You're already looking at representational yes. on, on the stage, right. and so I'm like, I personally don't care if it's a nuclear family drama living in the house, they can all be different races, I don't care, yeah. Absolutely. And I think the audience mm. can grasp. And I think there's a few there's like a few arms of what we're talking about here, and it gets yeah, it gets complicated it, because there's there's both um, you know alternative casting in the sense of uh, what we have traditionally called colorblind casting, right. or um, which is to give opportunities to actors of color that maybe in the past they would not have had mm. opportunities. For instance, I can say like uh, a Doll's House Part Two on Broadway right now, Condola Rashad is playing. Um, Laurie Metcalf's daughter. It's gorgeous casting. They're beautifully uh, connected to each other as a mother and daughter, and it's it's wonderful. My larger issue with um, diversity in the theater world is that we're I feel a responsibility to make sure that from the ground up there are voices there are voices and stories being told that are outside of the white American storyline. Mm. And so, you know, I, what I see is that there's, there's, I think that in New York City, and there's also yeah. the difference of New York City versus where you're from, yeah, yeah. right? Because and, I, and I think a whole swath of middle America, and that's the sure. thing. We're going to come to a compromise so that these playwrights 
who are creating these incredible roles and other experiences. Yeah. And, and let's face it, one popular thing of entertainment is always that idea of being able to look and experience another culture. Yeah. You yeah, know? absolutely. I think in New York City, I can I can speak to to directing and casting in New York City, where um, there are sort of traditional funnels of talent, where a casting a casting director or casting department sort of has their go to people, and there may be a role that could be played by someone yeah. who's another race, and no mm. actors come into the room that are of another race. And uh, for me as a director in the last few years, I've had to dig deeper and deeper and say, no, we can do better than this. And if no one showed up today or if no one was brought in today, then we need to go back to the drawing board. We need to reach out mm. to the communities, you know, and, and, and go further than just scratching the surface when that doesn't turn up on the first uh, round. Um, so that's why I mean, it becomes a trickier issue when we're talking about middle America and producing sure. plays in middle America. Yeah. I remember when we first met and we chatted, you were talking about this very specific issue of trying to cast somebody who was um, ethnically diverse and played certain instruments. Mm -hmm. oh, and, yeah. and that's a problem, right? Yes. Because, yeah. I mean, I can talk about my own personal community. So we didn't come yeah. from a group of people who were encouraged to pursue the arts because yeah. it's not considered a you know serious thing that's going to make you money. So our parents weren't like, yes, go have your cello lessons for 10 years and yeah. become great at ballet and all that. You know, in fact, that was discouraged somewhat from, you know, yeah. and, and so it's like study hard and get a good job. So it's, it's hard also, like, how do you nurture that talent from it within these communities? It has to be nurtured from it earlier. Has to, it has to be nurtured from much earlier. And even now, you know, with like such few roles, if like actors aren't getting a chance to... Um, you know, work those muscles, then yeah. they're maybe not going to be as good as somebody who has been had the opportunity since the age of ten. That's absolutely right. I think yeah. that we have to take, we have to push ourselves to go and develop and nurture um, that talent from an earlier starting point. Right. Um, one one of the things that I've become more and more involved with as as my career has gone on is curating events, curating concerts, curating. Um, or producing things. I work with an organization called Musical Theater Factory, and we're, we look for a lot of... Um, it's very important that to our artistic director there that we are as diverse as possible in um, composers, in actors, and directors, and choreographers. And um, uh, one of the initiatives that we've started there is that we have these representation roundtables where we have one, uh, once every three or four weeks, there's a group of women and trans writers that meet and once every three or four weeks, there's a group of uh, artists of color composers that meet. And they're just in a room sharing the work that they're working on. Um, and it's, be, it's been really powerful for those artists to not be the only person of color in the room, yeah. which is often the situation that they're in, um, and to feel supported and nurtured by other artists. And it's starting to build, for these this group of artists, is starting to build a strength and a... And a um, a passion to kind of keep putting their work out there. Um, but I, I, again, I think we need to kind of start from the foundations and, mm -hmm. and nurture a whole new generation of mm -hmm. artists to come up, um, to come up into, into the theater world. Yeah. But, and to carry it on. And like I said, I think this has progressed to the point of like, what do we do? I, I really think a lot of the most exciting new theater coming out of New York is now dealing with a lot of these issues and, mm -hmm. and, and different castings and race, but outside of a few urban pockets, yeah, you know, the, the, it's a curious question. Isa. what, like, do, would you, uh, well, would you, you know, like to see Ayad Akhtar yeah. produced 
in a small town in America where or they wouldn't be with able a to white cast person it. or not produce. Or not I produced. know that's tricky <laughs> too. Well, Boston's <laughs> not a small town, yeah, yes, so yes. they could have yeah. done. Yeah. And those actors went from New yeah. York. They are New York actors, both people who were cast. So they could have found somebody who at least was maybe yeah, South seriously. Asian. I'm not saying yeah. you have to be Muslim, American, and all these other things, but they could have found somebody who was maybe somewhat close to the ethnicity. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, but even, right. uh, right, another, even that's no, getting dicey. It's tricky. Yeah, it is tricky. It sure is tricky. Um, yeah, no, I think if, if then it becomes an issue of do we produce it or not, yeah. I think you do produce it, don't you? I well, no, I, right now, I feel like get I the mean, stories out there. Yeah. There, there are a lot of nasty stories out there dealing with that makes this not only just backlash from audience, but literally well, companies shutting you, you down. There's I'll, a one small university, I, I forget which minority they had, but it wasn't, it wasn't a black person, but whatever. It was literally there was one student on campus who was not an actor, who was that minority. And they shut the show down literally and said, why didn't you cast that one student? Mm. Not even asking, did he audition? Is he interested? Mm. Would he, you know? <laughs> yeah. Crazy. I haven't heard this story. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I guess it sort of depends. It's probably place to place, right? Like yeah. if we're talking about casting African American actors yeah. in, in in a state where there should be African American actors, you know, a community that you could reach out to. Mm. Then I do think you have to go the distance of trying to find that. If we're talking as we start to get into communities that are maybe not as represented yeah. in various parts yeah. of America. Yeah. Um, it becomes a different conversation. Well, I think the other bigger pro issue we're not even touching on is, you know, sometimes like people who are not from within these communities or have no touch, have never been to the Middle East or yeah. whatever, have you, writing about these people. Mm. Because yeah, you're just writing your idea of what somebody is like and not the real three-dimensional person. You know, I was so actually approached by a theater to potentially direct a production of Disgraced. Uh-huh. And I had a real well I did like the, it didn't that was a happen. thumbs down. And I really had this moral sort of question with myself of like, if they did officially offer me this, I I felt like I have to say, here's the name of two or three um Middle Eastern directors that I know. Well, I don't think so. Not for that reason. I don't think you have to turn down directing disgrace because there are also white actors in Disgraced. There is a white, you know, male character. So why you would be directing him as well? And I, I, I don't think so. I don't think that I mean, is a problem. I think I understand what you're talking about, though, John. I think as a culture, I've considered myself a rather culturally aware white mm. cisgender male. Yeah. And so these are the, the, the morality issues I wrestle. Is it okay for me yeah. to? And you like, know, to do I, like this? personally, I would love to direct Carolina Change. That's like yeah. a huge, you know, directing bucket list thing for me. Should I do the next Broadway revival mm -hmm. of that? I don't, you know, I think that we should we should open up who's telling that story potentially. Right. Should it be directed by another white male? I don't know. Mm. But uh, yeah, I don't, uh, you know, it becomes a question of is this a story for me that I could tell versus is there someone that might be able to bring insight to the story I know. in a better way? I understand what you're saying. So, I mean, I think the change doesn't have to be necessarily just in the casting also, though. Mm -hmm. It also has to be on the creative side, mm -hmm. right? So people who were more recently, Noor Theater wrote an open letter to the creative team behind The Profane. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys saw this or not, and then they responded to it because it was written by a white male and it was directed by a white male, and they cast this... When the casting for it went out, they said, we're looking for Middle Eastern characters. And we were like, well, we're from the Middle East because mm. it's very diverse. We're like, oh, no, it's from nowhere. It's just nowhere in particular. It's just Middle Eastern. 
Mm. You know, and mm. so I had friends it's who went in for that casting. It was not very specific. And, and, and actually, a friend of mine I was talking to said she asked this question in the room. And she was just like, well, is this from, like, Pakistan, you know, uh, Muslim woman? Or is this from, like, Egypt Muslim woman? Because I would play very differently. And they were like, oh, no, we're just looking to see what people bring into the room. And then we'll, mm. we'll see what you bring. And then we'll yeah. cast that. But I was, that makes no sense. Mm. Because you have no clear vision. And you're just putting... Everybody into this like monolith bucket, <laughs> you yeah, know. It's like yeah. you're all the same, Middle East, whatever. Yeah, you know. And I wonder how much things would change if our government had more grant support and funding support, like oh. the European countries. Because mm -hmm. face it, too, and this I don't see brought up enough. I mean, I run into a lot of people, and I'm not saying this is a whiner or a complainer, just to kind of point out facts. But a good percentage of writers, actors, and directors I've met in New York are people who come from a rather middle class, upper middle yeah. class upbringing. Where they have a support net. They yeah. can kind of mm. afford to be that scroungy artist and their mom will send them a check if they come up short that month. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of minorities in a lot of neighborhoods, and I'm not it's saying not all. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not an option. They don't have that option yeah. to, yeah. I mean, if you get a, if you get lucky and get a play produced, it's, you know, what, a $6,000, Dramatist Guild $6,000 mm. licensing fee for two years? I guarantee some of these even if they got so lucky as to somebody to want to produce their work, they couldn't take the amount of time. Oh, I have some. I have a number of friends that are that are produced and and you know looks yeah. on the outside like their careers yeah. are going great, and they and I know you know they're struggling deeply to yeah. to make ends meet. Um, mm. uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky situation in America right and now. Not I think. all you know white people are middle class or upper middle class, and there are some minorities. But I will say the theater world definitely leans itself very easily to those. Yeah. People have a much easier time. Yeah, I think anyone, anyone, you know, there's usually sort of a. I, I I think of it as like a bridge that has to be crossed in an early part of your career, where like you have to be able to struggle for a while, yeah. and and you know we all have to cross that bridge at some point, and uh, and we struggle in various ways. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I do know. I, I what I always say to people when they're coming up in the arts is. You have to figure out a way to work enough to pay your bills without it eating up so much of your time that you still have creative energy. Yeah. You know, that's it's a just, hard thing to it's do. It's a very though, hard balance. I think, yeah. It's very, very, very hard. Very hard. But sure. it's it's across the board. Anyone who wants to have a life as an artist, whether that becomes teaching work or you find a great mm -hmm. uh, nine to five that allows you the freedom to slip away every mm -hmm. once in a while, or you're waking up to write in the morning and then going to a restaurant job in the yeah. evening, whatever it turns out to be for you. It's, it is something that we all have to figure out at some mm -hmm. point. And it doesn't really go away even when you start to have success. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's always still a struggle. Still, yeah, <laughs> right? Like, you know, I mean, Isa's an actress that gets cast a lot these days. and But it's still, still I think yeah, you I could know. ask either no, of us. No, and we'd still be like, like, what's next? I don't yeah. know. Like, after September, what happens? I don't know right now. <laughs> you know, hoping for um, the best. You kind of hope, yeah, you do sort of hope yeah. for the best. Um, but I think that the more we can create opportunities, fellowships. Um, uh, I know uh, Shonda Rhimes just partnered with a theater out in LA. I am a theater company to create a program to uh, foster uh, writers of color. Mm -hmm. And Lin-Manuel Miranda, I believe, just partnered with the O'Neill to create a new fellowship also for, for writers of color. And I think that it's great as, as more artists of color get to those kinds of positions mm -hmm. in the entertainment industry as they turn back and they're like, I wish someone had helped me and, and held out a hand to me to kind of pull me up out of the, the difficult situation. Yeah. Um, hopefully we'll see more of that kind of 
uh, role in in the community. Yeah. Now, just in general, this isn't even based on ethnicity, but you know, I'm I'm going to be talking to a lot of my students at the University of Providence that you need to be creating your own projects and, mm-hmm. and do stuff. And as I understand that you're very active in creating work for yourself. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's I, I just started out and I didn't I didn't I didn't think there was anything was out there for me. And, and in fact, I was told there wasn't in some ways, you know, with uh, the place where I trained and stuff. Um, yeah. And I just I guess I just kind of started off creating work for myself. Um, and and I've been really, really lucky that way um, that I kind of started out right, you know, because I just don't yeah. know anything else. You know, I wasn't given some amazing juicy parts when I started yeah. acting. <laughs> I, in yeah. fact, it was the opposite. I, I felt, felt like there were no parts for people like me. And uh, yeah, and so I've been really lucky in some ways. And it kind of led me down, down this path of writing um, and kind of discovering my voice in the process. What are your biggest challenges in terms of getting these works you create for yourself up or yeah uh, I mean, you know, funding you know <laughs> also i have this like one woman show it's called dirty packy lingerie i've been performing it for over six years now and i just thought i was like and it's been all over the world i just did like i've been it's been to the uk four times i did a 16 city tour last year but uh, yeah so it's just been everywhere and it continues to continues to be performed and stuff and then i just thought oh you know i did this amazing thing with my one play well somebody will want to produce my next show and they don't nobody wants to produce my next play so so i feel like it's like going back to to the drawing board and being like okay i think it's just gonna be me every time it's just gonna be me figuring out how to push this thing forward and that's okay, you know. I mean, you just kind of gain a lot of allies along the way, and definitely, I have more supporters and collaborators, and and you know, uh, people cheering me on this time around when I do go back to produce my next solo show. But uh, but yeah, I think it's still it's just realizing it's still me. <laughs> you know, nobody's handing me down a magical anything. It's just yeah. Now, honest question: We talk about would you rather your show only be performed by you? Mm-hmm. Or is somebody else? You know, because it's good. If we're supporting, if yeah. we're supporting these playwrights and these, you know, color things. Like I said, I don't mean to minimize because I absolutely understand that there are markets that we need this. But at the same hand, I think we're also marginalizing our writers by the fact that there's this whole big kind of area down the middle of the country where they probably won't get produced. Mm-hmm in the climate that we're mm-hmm. no absolutely in. i would love for other people yeah. to be in it and and produce it and yeah. act it. i would i would rather get the work out yeah. there than me being you know going down everywhere and doing it of course i would love that yeah i think that it is it's a it's a conversation that we need to start having more and more uh, in the years ahead of how do we i feel it um being an artist that has lived in new york city my whole life um that this past election has particularly brought into light that there's a deep divide in this country of like the coasts or the cities versus mm. um, more rural areas. And I know that I, as an artist, am particularly interested in like having more contact and talking about like what are the stories that we're looking at in New York City versus what are the stories that are being produced out in middle America. Mm-hmm. I know, um, so I was the associate director for Once the Musical and our uh, our last tour that went out, we um, cast an Asian American actress um, in an onstage role, but she also understudied the lead girl, uh, or the character's name is Girl. And I felt particularly excited when she would go on yeah. for the role in a small market for you know audiences to, to, to see an Asian American actress playing the lead 
role in a musical. And I know uh, there was just a great story about Shoba Shoba Narayan. That's right. Is yeah. That her name? Yeah. 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 Um, who is uh, an understudy for Natasha? And, and Natasha then she Pierre. went on. And she went was on. Amazing. And it was the first time yeah. that uh, on Broadway. Yes. yes. Um, I'm not sure if she's Indonesian. I don't know what her background is. I believe she's South Asian. South Asian. Yeah. She is South Asian. Yes. Yeah. And um, you know, I think a, a lot of. A lot of the artists of color that I speak to say they just got so excited the first time they saw themselves reflected mm-hmm. back from the stage or from the film world. Or it's so important. Broadway ensembles, especially musicals, are still way too white. Yeah. And again, I'm like, why do they? Yeah, they don't need to. Yeah, they don't need to. There's, There's no reason. But it's easier a lot of the time. It's simpler. I hate mm. to say it, but they're they're open calls. You know. I would say 80 to 90% of the actors that come in are white. Um, so you have to go further. You have to dig deeper. And I know that for and me... And then when you do, like, uh, oh, my God, when Lin-Manuel, you know, puts out his call of, you know, all minority actors, please. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It creates a firestorm in the community. <laughs> totally, totally. Seriously, we've had, we've had the, the spotlight for a long time as white as white artists, and I think it's time to, to share... <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, on a, on a flip end, you know, just kind of along that same thing, you know, way back when, when we did Big River in Montana, you know, and we needed a good, really good gym, you know, this, you know, that's not a role you can cast just with any, you know, black person who shows up to auditions. But, like, and we have the base, you know, on town, mm-hmm. there's a lot, but the base wouldn't allow any advertising that indicated mm-hmm. at all, you know, any but and I imagine that's that same place a lot around. It's hard that we have a need. We want need to cast this, and then even a lot of existing things go. Oh, that's right, and we can't even get the word out there that we're looking <laughs> for you. Wow. You know? Yeah. Fascinating. Wow. Yeah. yeah. There are different challenges in different markets for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. uh Oh, um, <laughs> there was We've like one other thing that I was kind of thinking. Dealing both of you guys, I'd like to talk about it. I'd like to bring this up since the my uh, theater major that I run at uh, University of Providence is theater and business arts, where it's the art of being an artist and the business of being an artist. Is I'm wondering what you find that you didn't ever realize you would have to do in terms of upkeeping the business that is each of you. <laughs> So many things, yeah, such a long list of things. <laughs> I, I think for me, like the realization that this is a business mm-hmm. and that you have to be your own CEO and CFO and, and all of those things and everything else in between, you know, it's just running what it specific, that way. Name at least one specific task that you never thought would be a part of being you as an artist. Oh, sure. Well, putting together uh, press kits, marketing packages, you know, for either for me or my show or just pitching my show, picking up the phone, cold calling a college and being like, hey, you are all about diversity. I have this one woman show that is all about immigrants and diversity. Would you like to have me just the whole thing? I never thought I would be doing that. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, what I was saying earlier um, applies here, too, which is that you don't there's this sort of myth, I think, that like as an artist, you get to a certain level of mm. success, and then 
things just come yeah. to things you. Things just happen, that right? Just Every happen. door just opens, <laughs> and I'm you know, still waiting for that. Yeah, right? Like, that to me, there there is that it, mythical and, certain level. But, you know, but, but if you don't know your business, then you're getting taken advantage yeah. of. Yeah, but still, if Sean's saying yeah. he's still not there, yeah. then I don't know I mean, what any okay, of us are gonna get. I'm a working artist, and that for me is a huge thing to say. It's a huge threshold that I've crossed. Is that I'm a working artist? Absolutely. But um, you know, I I worked with a Tony Award winner who won a Tony when he was in his mid-20s and then had trouble getting cast in things after that. Mm. I am working with uh, a lovely, beautiful actress right now that was cast in In the Heights um, a few years ago on Broadway, uh, Ariel Jacobs. She's enormously talented, and she hasn't booked a Broadway show since then. Uh, she has some great work coming up down the pipeline, but... Um, you know, I think that's the the big myth of like mm, you cross some threshold yeah. and no, you're set. Absolutely, is, is no, false. no, it's false. If you're exclusively in theater, I don't think that threshold is no, ever passed. No, but it, even so, set. even though for me, so I booked a huge TV gig last year, and I was like, oh yeah. my gosh, it's my guest star, yes, possible yes. recurring. I made Opening it. All the doors. HBO <laughs> done. You know, well, not done. I haven't really done any real TV. <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, I mean, it opens some doors in the way where I was seen for some really great things this year um, during pilot season, but you know. And that is, you know, that <sighs> is the key I think, is keep to, going. to keep Just going. Just keep going, keep them, yeah. And to trust, to know that you have that work ahead of you, um, and yeah. to never think that you're done. Like you said, once once some great opportunity happens, you have to be in the position to go, I'm ready to take advantage of this yeah. now, which I think, right. you know, five, ten years ago I was not ready and now I'm like I'm ready when the big when the big doors are ready to open like I'm ready to walk through them, um, but uh, but just knowing that like you're gonna have to keep kind of reinvesting and reinvesting and reworking and yeah. um, you know I do think those those I have a friend out in L.A. Katie Lowe's that's on Scandal mm. who. Was in, My favorite show ever. Yeah. I love I that mean, Shonda, show. Shonda's, Shonda's like, it. yes, amazing. But she was in audition rooms for 10 years going going in to read for Shonda's shows and, you know, for episodes and not getting cast and not getting cast. And then this role was, was created with her in mind. Um, mm. And so you don't know sometimes, like, what what equity you're building over time what those relationships will lead to i think when we're in the middle of the mire of it it's like this is nothing (laughs) i definitely feel and tell my actors that if you're at a reading where you've never met the directors before you are not really auditioning for this show Mm. Uh, Mm. what you are doing is giving a chance to show this person what you can do and enough times Mm. Uh you might just find out but Truly, how many people have you talked to who truly went in auditioning not knowing anything about the project, the team, or knowing them, and came out with the role? I, I personally, I'm not, I don't act, but I, I it happens, think, but it's not. I don't think I've ever gotten a job yeah. without knowing, without knowing someone. someone involved. And You're that right. was one of the big yeah. things that I had to learn about the theater industry. I thought if I work the you hardest, you were so good, and you I'm kept good your head down. Somebody yeah. like that, no. Somebody Nobody will recognize it. Nobody, Nobody cares. cares. <laughs> Nobody but cares. that's in the business world too. You know, yeah. that's the same in the business world. So, so I have like, changed yeah. my my perspective to be: I am still going to work as hard as I can, but I'm going to be kind. I'm going to meet people that I want to be in rooms with. I'm going to create opportunities to be in rooms with those people. And over time, we'll all develop our careers together and come up together rather than trying to be like 
the individual. I'm going to make it by myself. Yeah. 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 That's, that's amazing. I think as you build a community of artists around you. Who look out for each other. Yep. Really yep. is what it and, is. It's and so then true. when something comes up, you're like, I know the perfect <coughs> actor to go in for that role. Or I know... You know, I would be thrilled to to throw Isa's name into the mix for other projects as as things come up now. And you were not an artist that I knew before, so I couldn't do that before. <laughs> but you know, now I, I'd be really excited to share mm. your name and your work with other people. And that only comes from doing the work. Doing the work, yeah. So so true. It takes a while to get there. <laughs> <laughs> but also like. The hustle. The hustle yeah. is hard. Yeah, yeah on the business end, I, I, so, I, I mean, on the forging your career as a director, I imagine your business tasks yeah. are somewhat different than a, yeah, a lot sure. of actors. What are the business tasks you take care of as a director that you never expected to be doing? I mean, like Isa was saying, there's so many communications that just you think I'm someone, you think eventually someone will take care of these <laughs> yeah. and like you wind up being a self producer. I worked in the off off Broadway world. I still work in the off-off-Broadway world, and I worked in exclusively in the yeah. off-off-Broadway world for a good 10 years yeah. of my career. Um, and, you know, there's just not, you're just self-producing, yeah. and you're getting, you're, you're creating opportunities, you're finding writers that you want to make sure get produced, and you're working together to submit, to submit for fellowships, to submit for productions, and so I think writing those kinds of um, pitches and mm. things like that were not, were something I, I wasn't expecting. And then, again, what I was saying earlier, the balance of work to art, um, you know, I have to be smart about like, I keep teaching work in my life. I, I have to maintain more jobs than I would like to, to make all the ends mm-hmm. meet. Um, and I've just accepted that that's what my life is going to be is that I'm going to have to keep you have to plant a lot of seeds. Yeah. You have to keep a lot of jobs you going. You do, yeah. And you hope and hope. And the more, the further I go in my career, the more seeds grow that I plant. It's true. But it's true. But it, yeah, but you still have to keep planting more. You have to keep planting more. And that's yeah. just, so both cre- creating the space where you can make enough money to, to pay your bills, where you can be creative on the projects that you're working on in this moment and still be looking at, like, how do I develop stuff for six months, a year, two, mm-hmm. three years down the line um, is the constant sort of juggle of being a working artist, I think. Yeah. And working artists is one of those, you know, I think, I think some people can grasp the idea that they are their own business. But the two things I think a lot of people miss is most businesses take seven years to profit, mm-hmm. and there is literally investment that yes. you've got to figure out how to put into your business. So... How long was your process between investing into your right. business and then your business starting to profit for you? Um, yeah, so I I was kind of lucky in a way because I started when I had a real career. I was working in IT. I, I grew well, no, well, that means that's how you fund. That's how you fund. Financial uh, gains kind of a like I would say, you got to look at the way. So, it's not a backup. It's not what career am I going to fall yeah, back yeah, on. Yeah, no, it's right. how, what, how, how am I, I going to. Up? So, yeah, so yeah. I kind of slowly started doing this. So, like, the first three years, it was not profitable at all. I had a daytime, full-time job, and I was kind of putting money into my career. Yeah. <laughs> sort of the first three years or so. Um, and then, like, the next two years um i had savings to live off of so i did that so that was my first five years (laughs) and now i'm like about two to three years since that five year mark Mm -hmm. and you know and things are not good like i know so it just takes time (laughs) it takes you don't for me i would say it was about 10 years i was in college you know i started in college fostering my career 
um, with an eye of wanting to be a director, with the knowledge that being a director is not something that generally happens for people at 22 years old. You yeah. know, I was playing a long game of yeah. going like, I know that I need life experience and wisdom to be good mm. at this job. And so I'm going to get... When are you planning on getting that again? I know. <laughs> you know, life provides that when you last want it to. It somehow manages to give you that. I've had quite a bit of that in the last few years. Uh, for better and worse, um, it's made me a better artist. It's been tough to live through, but it's made me a better artist. Um, but for... I would say the first six years I had to wait tables and direct like one project a year Mm -hmm. that that I would put my resources towards. Um, Then I took a touring job that was my first full-time theater job. I ran away with the circus for a year. Then I came back and I had nothing. I had no money. I was on unemployment and I took two classes and I, I was, it was Michael Roderick. It was a business ah, of yes. theater class with Michael yeah, Roderick. Yes, the yes, brilliant he's Michael great. Roderick. Yeah. He's a producer. He's a producer and he's a amazing. connector. He's amazing. Yeah. And a guy named Andy Goldberg, um, who ran a program called the Shakespeare Gym, uh, that was a acting Shakespeare. And I got my unemployment check, and I went to each of them every week, and I would give them a twenty dollar bill. I was yeah. like, I can't pay you the three hundred dollars for this class up front, yeah. but I, you know, yeah. and and both of those investments, Michael Roderick has introduced me to some of the most interesting people that I've met. Andy Goldberg is the reason why I got my job as the associate director on Once, um, and but it took three years from that point yeah. for for my work to really become profitable and something that could yeah. sustain itself without. Yeah. Um, and I've always had teaching work and things. You know, you look back and the path looks a lot smoother and clearer. But it's not it in the moment. Like no, when you're inside like, of it. I'm going to make it through this. And I even, you know, I just, so I just finished my, I had a five-year job as the associate director of Once the Musical, which is like unheard of in, in the theater world to have a five-year job. Yeah. And I'm back to square one again of like, where is my income going to yeah. come in from? And, and I'm really focusing on my own artistic work and not being an associate director at the moment. Um, but it's, it's another one of those examples of like, okay, I've done this for so long, it's become profitable, but I still, you know, you, keep, right. you go back to zero again sometimes. You, yeah, yeah. Um, well, for actors, it's constantly going back yeah. to zero. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might have some stuff, uh, like I knew this year, Longer I knew it was like, or, yeah. you know, the first eight months or so of the year were kind of planned out for me, but beyond that, not so much. So it's just hard because then you, again, you're just like, okay guess I'll be free to audition at the end of this year, you know, in September I'm just free. So whatever, we'll yeah. see what happens. Yeah, I think you have to like learn that. how to fill your time and, and work on your craft when you're Absolutely. not working on yes. a show. It's easy when you're in rehearsal. Yes. And that's such a good point. Also, like if you're creating your own work, it's good to just give yourself that kind of time. I write a lot, right. so it's great. And then I write kind of across mediums. So you need to refill um, the creative yeah, juices every yeah, once in a while, which is good too. But too. I've learned like, what do I have to be reading you know, what are the books that I want? You know, I, I read books about storytelling. I read books about myths, yeah. I, you know, mm-hmm. or what classes. I, let me take an acting class because mm-hmm. I haven't been in an acting class for a while. Or what are these things that you can do? Because I think we feel like we can only call ourselves an actor or a director when we're actively doing it right. sometimes. That's so for true. me, it's been a process of learning, like, I'm a director full time even when I'm not directing something. And, and how do I fill my time? 
That's so true. That's actually been a struggle for me too. When I first started, I wouldn't even tell people I was an actor. I was like, I'm just like, I work in IT. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. And then slowly kind of giving myself permission to be like, no, no, I'm an actor. And I remember a lot of times people would be like, oh, and this is my friend Isa. She's an aspiring actress. And it took me a long time to be like, I'm not aspiring. I'm an actor. I am doing it right now. I'd let people do it. And I'd kind of just fade away. I'd be like, okay, I'm aspiring. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and then I was like, wait a minute. No, no, I'm actually doing it. This is my career. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. a life choice. And, and it is, uh, you know, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Mm-hmm. And that, I loved what you said at the age of 22. You knew it was going to be a long game. I think for me, it took a very long time to kind of wrap my head around that. I just thought, you know, and I still have kind of friends and family who are not in the business. who are just like, well, you should be on the show on like CBS. Yeah, my mom, you, dad, yeah, you know, they don't get Monday it at all. I'm like, I would love to be on that show. Can you talk to that show writer about putting eyes on that show? They don't get it. They don't get it. It's not that simple. So yeah, yeah, so just wrapping your head around that whole concept of it being a long game, and it's okay. There will be some lulls. There's a great writer, Stephen Pressfield, who wrote a book. I love. Oh, have we talked about? I don't know, but I I love him. Yes, love. love. The Art of War, or is it the new book? The Art of War. He's written tons of. I haven't read the new one, but yes. Um, He writes. He writes novels also, but he writes. Mm -hmm. He wrote uh, the Legend of Bagger Vance. Is probably the biggest name uh, novel that you might recognize. Um, But he writes about what it means to be an artist and a writer, and I just he says, you know. Being an artist is going to war every single every day, day and waking up and resistance is going to be knocking on your door. It's going to be sitting down with you. It's going to be having, it's going to be going, have a beer today, right? <laughs> Watch some TV and have a beer today. And, and he's like, what can you do to pull your sword out and fight that resistance and do the work that you need to do on a daily basis to go in and have your practice and your craft. If yeah. that's a, as a writer, that means sitting down and writing. Yeah. As an actor, it means, you know, going to yoga or, or the gym or, or some kind of conditioning or going to the theater. I, you know, I try to go to see a play a week is my average. And when I can get to more than that, mm. I do. But you just go, how do I fight the resistance day to day? Because... It's yeah. a long, long, long game yeah. that we're playing. And I, I do want to cycle back to something you just mentioned, because it's something I've told people. You were talking about how you worked out something for a class you couldn't afford. I do that. And mm. I, I do that think it's an important amazing. thing to let people yeah. know that don't, don't let excuses like I can't afford it stop you. Mm. Find a way. Be, get creative about it. You're, you're an artist. You're creative. Yep. No, not everybody will, you know. In fact, both of those classes offered free seminars. I came back, I had nothing, nothing lined up, just emptiness in front of me. <laughs> and and so I started going, it was actually Glory's Listserv, uh, Glory's List. Um, and I got emails around the same time for these two seminars that were going to be like free versions. And I was like, let me show up. <laughs> and I loved both of them. And that was when I went to both of them and I went, okay, I'm getting my $400 a week in unemployment mm. or whatever, I can take $40 out of that. But I, so that means I could pay them each $20 a week and right. like go to them and be, you know, and work out that deal. And luckily they both accepted it. And then through the years, I've taken other classes where I've been in better financial situations yeah. with them. Um, but they became friends more than that. Oh, and so yeah, you, you have to be creative. You just have to figure out how to not make the excuses as you're saying. All right. Well, it has been a pleasure talking to you about your, your, it's been great. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> your play that was in Planet Connections that we heard a little while back, and this yeah. diversion into minority issues and just business, business acting issues art. and yeah. directing issues, and uh, 
I wish you both the best of luck and uh, keep in touch. Thank you. We will. Have fun. Thank you. <laughs> Curtain Call. Well, that wraps up another one. I am your host, Michael Gilbo, and we got another brand new episode of Broadway Bullet dropping on July 20th. We have a list of everybody we're interviewing in the season and which episodes and dates it's coming out of at the BroadwayBullet.com website. So check that out if you're interested. Also, love to see some of you at the University of Providence for our theater and business arts program. Nothing quite like it anywhere. And finally, I'd like to take a moment to thank everybody who uh, helps make this program possible. My associate producer for this season was Matthew Bartolotta, just graduated with a degree in English at the University of Great Falls and a heavy participant in our theater department. Um, and we are actually bringing out uh, one of our major students um, every time, one or two, to help with the program. Great opportunity to meet people and see what's going on. I would also love to thank the Dramatist Guild Fund for providing such a wonderful, luxurious location to interview all these wonderful people at. Remember, you can find out more at dgfund.org. And again, thanks to the University of Providence for uh, being our travel sponsor and helping us get there and stay there in New York. Uh, they are making this show happen. All right, well, that wraps up another one. Thank you. Thank you.